This is one of my favorite Christmas songs. There's one line in this song that's worth the song. Long time ago in Bethlehem so the Holy Bible say Mary's boy child Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day Hark now hear the angels sing a new king is born today and man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day while shepherds watched their flock by night see a bright new shining star they heard a choir from heaven sing the music came from afar hark now hear the angels sing new king is born today and man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. Now Joseph and his wife Mary come to Bethlehem that night. They find no place to lay their not a single room was inside. Verse 3, Sister Judy. By and by they found a little nook in a stable all forlorn. And in a manger cold and dark Mary's little boy child was born Hark now hear the angels sing a new king is born today and man will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. 
Would you praise the Lord for Jesus Christ with a hand clap? Would you do that? Thank you so much. I don't care how many songs you hear this Christmas. Worth, there'll not be a song sung that I'll enjoy anymore that I enjoyed your singing and the praise team singing that song. It told us the story of, of course, Isaiah when he saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. What, what a song. And Brother Matt, I don't know when you have it coming back again, but I request it will be sung soon again. Thank you for being here this morning. If you do not have an outline of a sermon, please raise your hand. We want everyone to have one. I think we have someone. I hope we do. Have someone given those out. I want everyone to have one. Christmas, a mission revealed. What was Christ's mission when he came? The introduction says a kind of Moral revelism has taken over. Nothing is really wrong. Relativism has taken over. Nothing is really wrong. If I had a good reason to do what I did or say what I say, it's not a sin. That is a modern attitude toward the righteousness of God. Will Pound says it this way, I get the impression that the church is our day, or in our day, avoids all at all costs the idea of sin and guilt and therefore tries to entertain lost sinners into heaven. However, he says, there is no escape in the fact that when God became flesh so he could be with us, he did so in order to save his people. From their sins. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Father, we thank you for your word. May it speak to our hearts. God, help us to be, have hearts to understand, ears to hear, and be attentive to what you're saying to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May of 1963, May of 1963, I was driving Carol home to her house on Highway 70. And I began to tell her a story about a farmer that uh, he had moved to the city, found a young lady, and there 
he fell in love with her. And he wanted to marry her. Well, the story was so until she didn't even understand what I was talking about. And I said, that young man wants to marry that young lady. The passenger side was quiet. And I looked over and I said, will you? <laughs> and she said, yes. That was in May of 1963. I had to ask her daddy's hand for the marriage, her hand for marriage. But, and you got to understand something. He didn't want her getting married. In fact, we couldn't even sometimes sitting, sit together in church when she was 18 years old. So it was hard to weigh 115 pounds, walk up to a guy that weighs 240 pounds like a boxer and ask his hand or my wife's hand in marriage. But I did. I don't want her getting married right now. I said, well, we, we, we're not planning on getting married. This is going to be two or three years. Well, that September we got married. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if she looked at me that day and said, yes, I will marry you, but I want you to know something. What is that you want me to know? I'm pregnant. What? What? Well, Joseph had sought Mary's hand in marriage. He was betrothed to her, which meant similar to engaged to her. She told him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. What? He knew he was not the father. And he really, really struggled with Mary and Joseph. I wrote a little something down here with this sermon. And it goes like this. A crisis pregnancy discovered. He finds out his to-be wife is pregnant. A husband's heart revealed. I've never appreciated Joseph like I do today as I've gone into this study and appreciate how righteous he was. And then the angel's explanation given, verse 20 that I just read to you, Jesus' mission announced, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And then the Old Testament prophecy later on in verse 22, the birth of Christ fulfilled a prophecy given through the prophet Isaiah. And this had been given 700 years before Christ was born. God's heart was revealed. Another place they say you shall call his name Emmanuel, which meant what? God with us. That's what God wanted God wanted to befriend mankind, love mankind, be close to mankind, fellowship mankind. And then we find a saved life demonstrated. Joseph did as the angel commanded him to do. When the angel spoke to him, he was obedient, did not put Mary away. And then we know the story, how that the child, 
was birthed because of the Holy Spirit. One place, place says the Holy Ghost. Notice, first of all, Jesus the Savior in your notes, the character in which God delights to regard his Son. Second of all, the real, real nature and design for Christ's coming. St. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save man from his sin. And I believe, and I think we all could say amen to this, because the word of God is true, it shall come to pass that this design, God's design, will surely be accomplished. Christ came the same. He came not, I like F.B. Meyer's statement, he came not to break the yoke of Caesar and reestablish the kingdom of David, but to break the yoke of sin and set up the sinless kingdom of God. Amen? That's why he came. But he came not just to save from the consequences and the results of sin, not just the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. I love what Romans 8 and 2 says. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Jesus Christ came to deal with man's number one problem. What is it? Sin. I went back in the hymn book, was in front of me there on the back of the uh, pew. And I found this song, a song you couldn't sing it today. You couldn't even write it today. People wouldn't listen at you today. But this psalm was written many years ago by J.H. Vernon. And listen to some of the verses in it. See yonder man in the prison he dwells. Sin is to blame. List to the story he plainly tells. Sin is the blame for it all. Many dear, dear children are crying for bread. Sin is the blame for it all. Fathers are drunkard. A mother is dead. Sin is the blame for it all. Again, no one will want to listen to those verses, to that song. Sin is to blame for all sorrow. Sin is to blame. Sin is to blame. And the writer of the song says, have you no hope? For tomorrow, sin is a blame for it all. One more verse. Heartbroken mothers all sad and alone. Sin is to blame. Sin is to blame. Helpless and needy, no place to call home. Sin is a blame for it all. You say, Pastor, that's sad. That's morbid. We don't want to hear that kind of thing, especially on Sunday morning close to Christmas. But we've got to understand man's problem is simply sin. But Jesus Christ came to save us, you and I, and mankind from his sins. Can you say amen? That's why he came. He dealt with sin in your life. 
He has saved us. Notice the notes. I love this. He has, past tense, saved his people from the penalty of sin. This is called justification. Someone said salvation is freedom from the punishment of sin. Aren't you glad he did that? Because we all find ourselves uh, at one time or another before we meet Jesus Christ, sinners. But today we're not sinners. We're saved by grace. Can you say amen? Not only has he saved his people from the penalty of sin, he is saving his people from the power of sin. Here's another word you don't hear often. It's called sanctification. This is called sanctification. We've been justified. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being, being sanctified. We're being cleansed and made in the very image of Jesus Christ. I love that. I love that. We've been created and made more like Jesus Christ. He's not only saved us from the penalty of sin, which is justification. He is saving us from the power of sin. I love that because sin does not have, Romans tells us. Romans is probably one of the most fantastic writings in, in any book. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, he deals with all of man's problems, especially in the first chapter of the book of Romans. If you haven't read Romans, read it. Read it over and over and digest it and understand what Paul is writing to the church about. But he tells about the sins of mankind, even his own self at one time, how he struggled with sin. And he said, when I want to do good, evil is always present. And I find myself, listen to what he said, doing the very thing that I did not want or do not want to do. Are you ever having that struggle? Did you have that struggle? But God has not only the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, I love, and one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible is Romans chapter 8. Nineteen times the Apostle Paul mentions the Holy Spirit in that one chapter. What happens to the believer? The believer accepts Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. What happens to a man and woman or woman after that is that the Holy Spirit comes on the inside and takes up his abode. Amen. And we are the temple, certainly, of the Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is on the inside, but he's not there just to be there. He's there to help us, to give us strength, overcoming grace. And we're not only to receive the Spirit of God at salvation, but we're to be baptized in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So 19 times Paul is saying, you want power over sin. You can have power over sin. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm glad, aren't you? He not only 
has saved us from the penalty of sin. He has saved us from the power of sin. And then I love this one. He will save his people from the presence of sin. And this is called, my friend, glorification. There's going to be a time. Listen, we deal with it. We struggle sometimes with sin. That don't mean that we practice sin. That don't mean that we habitually are obedient to sin. No, not the believer. I don't believe that. And 1 John talks about that. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But there is that struggle. But one day, notice what I have. The work of the Holy Spirit is the first fruit of a great harvest. We will one day enjoy with redeemed bodies and a redeemed world free from sin and the death that it brings. Can you say hallelujah? Amen. I look forward to that day. You look forward, no doubt, to that day when we will no longer struggle with sin, but God shall put all things, all sin, under his feet. When we come to Jesus Christ, something happens in our life when it comes to our relationship with sin. Sin no longer or begins to lose, sin begins to lose its appeal. It does. Sin, notice what we have. We are not to practice sin. Allow me, if you will, to read the Amplified Version, and I hope we have the Amplified Version. 1 John chapter 3. Verses 6 through 8. No one who abides in him, who remains united in fellowship with him, deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. Now what deliberately is an adverb. Knowingly is an adverb. adverb. Habitually is an adverb, and an adverb describes a verb. And practice is the verb. So what John is telling us here, and I, I just I, I hang my hat on this one, when, when it comes to how do we live in this world without sin. Well, what John is saying, and I'm going to read it again, notice it. No one who abides in him, who remains united in fellowship with him, deliberately, knowingly, habitually practices sin. No one who habitually sins has seen him or known him. Verse 7 of 1 John chapter 3. It reads like this. Little children, believers, dear ones, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who practices righteousness, the one who strives to live a consistently Honorable life in private as well, in private as well as in public. And to conform to God's precepts is righteous, just as he is righteous. How in the world can you call sinful man a man, men that were born in sin, that has the atomic nature, how can you call them righteous? Because we accept Jesus Christ and he cleanses us, he washes us. And it says here, the one who practices sin, separating himself from God and offending him by acts of disobedience, acts of indifference, acts of rebellion, 
is of the devil. Now you won't hear that preached much, but it's true. Does that mean I don't sin? No. Does that mean I don't practice habitually knowing they go out and sin? Yes. And there's a difference. Amen? There is a big difference. And he takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God, the devil. If we practice rebellion, and I think that's the big part of sin, and that's where man is today. He is rebelling against God. He's rebelling against God's principles, and he certainly is rebelling against God's precepts. Is of the devil and takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. And we need not listen and be led by the devil. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? He does destroy the works of the devil. So we are not to practice sin. We're not to knowingly go out and sin. And it says the word sin means to miss the mark, to miss the mark of the standard, the standard certainly that God Almighty has set for us. You're saying, Brother Don, you, you, you think man is perfect? No. Let me tell you a little bit, and I've told you this many times, how anger controlled my life. Anger controlled my life. And I knew that I had to rid myself of that inbred anger. I don't know what maybe tries to control your life. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's pride. It might be anger. But whatever it is, it need not control your life. I fasted for seven days. I became accountable to someone to pray for me each day. And I stood up in the church and I asked the congregation to pray for me that I could overcome anger. Did I overcome anger? Yes. Do I still get angry? Yes. It don't control me. There's a difference. There's a difference in you and I making that mistake, making that, uh, committing that sin, and us deliberately, knowingly going out and practicing sin. Jesus Christ came to save man from his sins. In Romans 7 and 11, for sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Sin is deceptive. Sin confines us and limits us. Sin shames us, injures us. Sin deceives us. And there's so many people. I hope, I hope that I'm not preaching and we're getting like this. Oh my God, he's talking about sin. We need to rid ourselves. We need to call sin, sin and wrong, wrong. So I said, I made a mistake. Sin confines us, let me say it again, limits us, shames us, injures us, and sin, as Romans chapter 7, verse 11 says, it deceives us. My sins are gone. 
The devil will deceive you. The devil will trick you and make you, make you think you're all right just like you are. But we need to fall on our, our knees and cry out to God and say, God, forgive me of my wrong. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus takes our sin away. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, I love this, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away. We are redeemed, John, 1 John 3 and 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. I love the writer of Hebrews. I think it was Paul. I don't know. But Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The blood of Jesus Christ must be applied to our lives. You know what that word remission means? When, when, when God saves us and redeems us, it means this. It means to sin away. Sinned. S-E-N-D. Sinned away. It means a release from bondage or imprisonment. We don't have to live a life of bondage. We can live a life that is free, joyous, exciting. It, re- it means not only that, but it means counseling out all judgment. It means counseling out all punishment. It means counseling out all debt that we might owe. Thank God for Jesus Christ being born in this world. And thank God for the testimony of millions and millions of people that have come to him asking him to forgive of sin to cleanse, to wash. God does those things for us. And we can live a life of victory, not a life of, of, of worrying about, can I make it tomorrow? God wants us to be able to say, hallelujah, my chains are gone. In fact, I kind of like to sing that. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Matt, if you would. I don't know. You may be here today as we get ready to sing this song. And you may struggle. There may be something that's controlling your life. Every day of your life. You know what you're supposed not to do. God's Holy Spirit reveals to us the way that we should walk. One of the great things about coming to Christ our li- is, 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 the, is to think about that our lives are filled with darkness. Darkness. But all of a sudden there's a light that shines forth. And that light is to reveal to us our wrong. It's to de- break every bondage and every chain. Joseph, yes, 
that it is of Mary is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from, not in, from their sins. Pray with me. Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm so thankful, Lord, that not only you deliver us from the penalty of sin, but Father, you deliver us from the power of sin. We don't have to give in to sin. We don't have to yield to sin. We don't have to listen to the devil, which tells us you can't do this. You can't make it. But God, we can be pure because your Holy Spirit and your blood cleanses us from all sin. We thank you for that. If there's a man or woman, if there's a person here today, Lord, they, maybe they've been saved. But there's something in their lives that they're struggling with. Maybe, dear God, that things done in the past and they, they can't lay it aside. God, may they cry out to you that you might forgive them and cleanse them. Maybe someone here is struggling with a habit. I don't know, Lord, whatever that habit is, that habit that keeps them from fully being spirit-filled, from fully enjoying the Christian life that you expect us to enjoy. God, speak to that heart today. May they be able to sing this song with faith in their heart and a prayer in their heart that my chains are gone. My chains are gone. I once was in bondage, but I'm not anymore. God, we don't have to be a slave to sin. But we can be forgiven and experience the power over sin. And the shame. And the injuries that sin does to us. Help us today as we sing. Stand with us, if you will, sing this song. My sins are gone.